L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul, Mission Control Deckett. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. If you want to be a part of the conversation as we delve into today's rabbit hole, you don't have to wait till the end of the show. You can just give us a call directly and then, you know, oh, push pause, give us a call and then push play. Yeah, and make sure your vehicle is uh, not in motion and you're not driving. Or that you have one of those cool voice-activated ones. Definitely. And where should they point their telephonic device, fellas? Well, you type in the numbers 1-833-STDWYTK. Yeah. Give us a call. Mm Mm-hmm. Three minutes. Choose your time wisely uh, and let us know if you have something that you do not want to end up on the air. Just please be explicit. You know, you guys here in Atlanta, I'm often taken in by these fake uh, rap songs that are on the radio that are actually just advertisements for like 1-800, you know, buy gold or uh, mm-hmm. like an ambulance chaser type attorney. Sure. There's a few of them that are really good. They're great. And, okay. and I always like find myself bopping to them and then I'm like, God, it got me again when they drop the call to action, you know? I like <sighs> the, I, I, I have no regrets. I like the ones that have sick verses and there are a few out there actually. Yeah. 
Yeah. Where you're like, I know this is an ad, but it slaps. Oh, I know. I think My, there's one called 1-800-411-PAIN. Nice. That's a big one. My and, favorite is 1-833-CARS-FOR-KIDS. Uh, Five, seven, two, four, five for kids. Boom. Air horn. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Uh, Yes. So we recently did an episode diving into the strange story of closed cities. These are places that in some cases did not or do not officially exist. Right. Many of them are radiated. And many of them are – Cold War relics located in Russia, but not all of them. It's an interesting story, and it may hit close to home for some of our fellow listeners. Today, we're looking at something kind of related, another sort of invisible place, a place where people officially disappear. So here are the facts. First, prisons. Really starting on an up note today, guys. Prisons. Yes are an ugly fact of every nation's existence. And if you have ever researched this or done some cursory Googling in your time on on the internet, you have found that some prisons, like those in Norway, are held up as models of successful rehabilitation. There, There's a lot of good and bad press out there about Norway's prisons. People who consider themselves hard on crime will say that Norway is coddling criminals and people who consider themselves, I don't know, maybe more progressive or people who have studied recidivism rates will say that Norway is enormously successful at rehabilitating prisoners. And you know what? You can't lie. You can pull up the pictures. You can check out the prisons. They are very nice considering that they're prisons. They don't look like jails or prisons. Yeah, and some of the best attorneys in the world have come out of Norwegian prisons where they got their degrees. I did not know that. Well, well, hanging out in bubble baths. Where it's not true. Oh, okay. Sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm still back on the the, the lawyer rap tip, but uh, you know, um, there's a, a definitely a broad spectrum of the types of activities and, and things that go on in prisons. Norway possibly being the extreme in the positive, or you know, if you're hard on crime, you could say in the negative. But well, yeah, and, fo- focusing on getting a person who's incarcerated back to existing and functioning within normalized society. Mm-hmm. That's one extreme. That's one extreme. Then you have places like South Africa where uh, it's kind of just all bets are off. I mean, they're absurdly notorious for the types of horrible things that go on in there. That's correct. Uh, the violence, the crime, and the corruption are incredibly high. There is a triad of gangs that run many of the prisons in South Africa. I believe they're the 25s, the 26s, and the 27s. Uh, they are much more sinister than their names would lead you to believe. Uh, for instance, one of the common punishments for someone who has broken the codes or mores of the gang is for someone to – this is incredibly graphic and may not be suitable for all listeners – is for someone to, uh, to be wounded uh, in their anus and then to be assaulted by an HIV-positive member of the gang. That happens in South African prisons. In some cases, the prisoners have almost as much power as the staff that technically keeps an eye on them. So we have very, very, uh, very, very, very nice, sometimes unfairly called IKEA prisons in Norway. And then we have very, very, very bad and dangerous places. And the U.S., depending on who you ask, 
can fall somewhere in between. Uh, One thing that's no secret is that there are a ton of prisons and jails here in these United States. Yes, and you're speaking about a ton of different places, right? And each each of those is its own ecosystem in a lot of ways. In the U.S., we have over 1,700 state prisons, over 100 federal prisons, and 942 juvenile correctional facilities. But let's keep going here. 3,283 local jails and 79 jails that are on um, indigenous people's reservations. Uh, and you might be saying to yourself, given the population of our country, those numbers actually seem kind of low. Yeah. Which means severe overcrowding in many of the nation's prisons. Yeah. Let's keep in mind this does not count military prisons, immigration detention facilities, civil commitment centers, and prisons in the many U.S. territories. And that's not to say that the kinds of things, Ben, that you described taking place in South African prisons don't happen in the United States, largely due to this overcrowding uh, in New Mexico's state penitentiary in February of 1980. um, Prison inmates essentially took over the facility and got a hold of what you would call snitch files where folks that were actually, you know, reporting uh, on, you know, illegal activity, um, they end up in these physical files in the prison warden's office and the folks that kind of took over the facility found those, singled those people out and did things very much in line with the kinds of tortures and, and punishments that Ben was describing taking place in South Africa involving genital mutilation and, you know, hanging from the rafters, you know, by uh, their neck and things like that. Just absolute, uh, unimaginable terror. Yeah. And there has been a growing discrepancy between the way that prisons in the U.S. are depicted in works of fiction uh, versus how day-to-day life is for the inmates and the staff alike. The truth of the matter is that conditions at these sites can vary widely, sometimes due to issues of funding and sometimes due to the type of crimes a given inmate may be found guilty of committing. For example, uh, there are a lot of people who might be in jail for a comparatively short amount of time. And some, some of our fellow listeners may have had this experience at some point in their lives. In some cases, You can also participate in work release programs. This means that someone who's convicted of a crime and has jail time to serve can serve that time on nights and weekends such that they are able to hopefully maintain employment while serving out their sentence, still be a part of their local community, and hence be less likely to end up back in jail. Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein um, did – definitely have an extreme version of a work release program. And uh, check out episode three on Jeffrey Epstein. I think, depending on audience interest, I think we need to do an episode four just to look at Ghislaine Maxwell exclusively. I would agree with you. So what about the other extreme of prisons? What, like if that's the – if the Epsteins and the white-collar criminals of the world go to what has sometimes been described as Camp Fed – you know, mm-hmm. uh, what, what's the what's the other the other far end of the spectrum here? You're talking about super max facilities, and this is um, it's a it's a different kind of torture. I think being alone for long, long periods of time, uh, inmates in places that would be considered super max facilities could be alone in solitary confinement for a year. More than a year, 
years. Um, and then a lot of times when they're, when they're experiencing that kind of thing, they will get some kind of moment to themselves, basically an hour Mm-hmm. to be outside I mean, during if, a single 24-hour period. If I'm not mistaken, there have been changes in the law surrounding confinement to solitary. Isn't, isn't it, I mean, a little bit more regulated than it used to be or is it still just completely up to the discretion of prison officials? Because I thought there were some human rights cases that sort of prevented just willy-nilly shoving people in solitary and throwing away the key. Uh, in 2012, there was a federal class action lawsuit against the Bureau of Prisons and people who run the ADX SHU, a secure housing, security housing unit. It's the nice name for these prisons. Uh, the case was dismissed. So no. All so, bets are off. I'm, it's, it's enormously controversial. The UN has condemned the practice. Uh, but the, the UN writes a lot of condemnations without a lot of teeth behind them. And uh, Supermax's uh, – it's a prison within a prison and that thing that you're describing, Matt, where they get outside time for an hour yeah. or whatever, it's pretty depressing, right? They're in a different cage outside. Yeah. So we see this – we see this huge um, – and this huge discrepancy between some prisons or some detention facilities and another. But one thing is not up for debate. Uh, going to a point I believe you raised earlier, Noel – this doesn't sound like a ton of facilities, right, given that the population of the United States is in the 300 millions. The U.S. prison population, however, the actual people incarcerated is huge. There was a 2018 report from the Bureau of Justice Statistics that found – OK, the numbers are a little wonky, right? But they found uh, almost 2.2 million people are caught up in the system or as many as almost 2.3 million people. And that came from the end of 2016. That means if we adjust for the population of this country, we find a disturbing statistic. For every 100,000 people residing in the United States, approximately 655 are behind bars Mm. as we speak for one reason or another. But there's another way to think about it. We we can get lost in these numbers and I think a proportion is a good way to uh, to to slice the pie or let you see the the larger picture, but we have a good analogy to or a good uh, comparison would be a better way to say it. Yes. So if the population um, currently in U.S. prisons was the population of one city, it would be a city larger than uh, Dallas or Philadelphia, which as we know are pretty pretty populous uh, metro areas. Uh, it would in fact be one of the 10 largest cities in these United States, just a little smaller than Houston um, and a little bigger than Phoenix. Staggering numbers. It's also, again, even more disturbing when we realize that these numbers do not count hundreds of thousands of people currently held in those other facilities, the military prisons, the prisons in U.S. territories, the detainment centers for uh, immigrants and their children. Ones that are often much more difficult to even find out what those populations look like. Mm -hmm. It's true. But wait, Ben. Mm. What if there's even more to this story? Surely you jest. No, I do not. What if there are other 
facilities, not detainment centers, uh, immigration centers, not your standard military prison? What if there's a much more secret place where people could be held and are held? Facilities like those closed cities of the Cold War that do not officially exist, right? Places where the normal laws do not apply. We're talking no real trials, none of the normal avenues for parole, probation, and so on. Severe constraints on your rights as an individual. What if there are places where, in a very real sense, people disappear? What exactly are these so-called black sites? And we'll get to that right after a quick word from our sponsor. L-A-S-I-K LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop. Podcast producer? Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424. Two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Here's where it gets crazy. Yes, it's true. This is one of those things where we have a conclusive, concrete, definitive answer. Black sites did, and mm, this is speculative, but they probably do still exist. Almost certainly. Yeah, and to really get a full picture of the development of this, we're going to have to zip back in time to that fateful day on September 11th, 2001, when what is officially recognized uh, as a 
terrorist attack in New York City and Washington, D.C. caused the Central Intelligence Agency to um, start to think outside the box, outside the existing prison boxes, military situations that were already in place, and to really go further um, and uh, create an entire new network of facilities. I would say they're looking outside of that system as well as the judicial system in general. Right. um, As well as maybe even oversight from the United Nations. And it takes one of these – it takes something as, you know, life-changing, as earth-shattering politically and just in terms of like day-to-day existence as September 11th to really – cause this kind of sea change where it's like, you know, um, the ends justify the means is sort of the order of the day, right? Mm, the idea here is something that we've we've encountered in previous arguments for torture, which is the ticking time bomb scenario. You have uh, an individual that you cannot legally arrest, but this individual has knowledge that could help you prevent another huge disaster. So you do what's called an extraordinary rendition. You move beyond the law. You take them someplace where the law does not fully apply. The CIA started looking for outside facilities where they could do this. They could detain and interrogate people they believed, it's a very important distinction, people they believed to be high-level al-Qaeda suspects. These secret prisons, known as black sites, were used by the CIA to interrogate the folks they thought were terrorists, often using... um, what are called enhanced interrogation by some, what are called torture techniques by others to obtain intelligence. And we know that this program began mere days after the events of September 11th. I mean, you want to dive into the history? Yeah, we should and and can do that. And uh, we're going to do that with the help of a uh, UN report that was officially titled um, Report of the Special Rapporteur on the Promotion and Protection of Human Rights and Fundamental Freedoms While Countering Terrorism by Ben Emerson. Yeah, they put that's the uh, that's the guy writing the report. This is why they write names like this because people have already like tuned out by the time they get to special repertoire and they're certainly not going to read the actual report but we will um, and we're going to give you a little excerpt here that I think we'll, uh, we'll maybe do this round robin style. Um, on 17 September 2001, President Bush authorized the CIA to operate a secret detention program. It's obviously written by a Brit because he's spelled program P-R-O-G-R-A-M-M-E. That's the way – that's the type of English the UN uses. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's correct. That makes sense. Uh, OK. A secret detention program which involved the establishment of clandestine detention facilities known as, quote, black sites, end quote, on the territory of other states with the collaboration of public officials in those states. And just to continue the quote here, at about the same time he, uh, George W. Bush, allegedly authorized the CIA to carry out extraordinary renditions, the secret transfers of prisoners outside any lawful process of extradition or expulsion, enabling them to be interrogated whilst in the formal custody of the public officials of other states, including states with a record of using torture. At the beginning of August 2002, the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel purported to authorize a range of physical and mental abuse of terrorist suspects known as enhanced interrogation techniques. So that's, that's the end of the quote, and that's a pretty, pretty easy summation there. Now, people who support 
the existence of black sites and the activities that took place within these sites, we'll insert a thousand footnotes into that single paragraph, right? And we will give those uh, we will give those opponents of this write-up their due. However, everything in that paragraph is factual. That all actually happened. It has been vetted. We can look at examples of what black sites actually are. This iteration of black sites, the first one was built in Thailand. It was built shortly after the September 11th attacks. That, that is just surprising to, to hear. I think, of thinking of Thailand as being the first place. Mm -hmm. Well, Thailand is not a place that pops up on the map in a lot of areas. So, for instance, if you suspected the CIA to do something like this, one would naturally and rightfully imagine that they would have a site that was closer to the fracas, right? But yeah, this I, is I would smart. think Saudi Arabia probably. Sure, yeah. I mean, they would probably just rent one of the ones Saudi Arabia already has. And this is all wow. done with full cooperation from these various governments. That is correct. Yeah. So I wonder what that negotiation's like. Is, is it calling in a favor? Is it saying like, how can we do this together and make it mutually agreeable? Or is it basically just saying like, this is what's happening? We will withhold aid from you if you don't help us out. I, I'm wondering. Mm -hmm. I'm speculating. Well, there's a there's a later on we'll get to uh, an example from Poland that has a good blow by blow of how this happens. But I suspect it is a case by case basis. You know, this is very much a situation in which U.S. intelligence is building the car while they're driving the car. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, so. Back to Thailand, the American officers there repeatedly waterboarded at least two detainees. This was part of those interrogation techniques that the rest of the world, by the way, would later call torture. So waterboarding, for anyone who hasn't experienced it, may sound relatively tame at first. It's a simulation of the experience of drowning. So anybody who has been in danger of drowning ever knows that it is not a pleasant way to go. Uh, what, what happens, and there are, you, you know, uh, there are training courses where people who will later use those techniques have to experience it for themselves because you need to know at what point to stop. But here's what happens. You are you, – you take the victim and you have a rag over their mouth and their nose, important. And then you just continually pour uh, a steady, consistent amount of water into their mouth and nose through the rag. While they're laying back or sometimes even at a lower angle than right. just uh, – While their feet are elevated yes, above their head. Yes. Yeah. And – you know, usually on like a plank, right? And while that sounds tame, because you could say, well, they're not beating the snot out of people. They're not breaking fingers or collecting fingernails or teeth or whatever. Uh, this, this is a incredibly, from experience, this is an incredibly unpleasant thing. Uh, I was not waterboarded by a government agency, but it is a, an extremely unpleasant experience. And more importantly, it is one that can be repeated ad nauseum. So you can keep drowning people, bringing them back, asking them to confess to something, and then just almost drowning them again. It's like death simulation. I mean, it, well, yeah. you know, the things that kick in in situations like that are terror and anxiety and panic and, and just utter, you know, uh, like not feeling safe in yeah. any way. I, th I think you hit it right on the head when, when you use the T word, terror, 
being inflicted then on someone, you know, perhaps suspected of being a terrorist uh, because, you know, it, it's it's exactly what you're saying. You're simulating drowning, right? But it's 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 like the most advanced flight simulator that's ever existed if you're thinking about it as a one-to-one to flying or to drowning because your body experiences, and Ben, you know this, exactly, physically, exactly what it would do if it were drowning. Hmm. All you need is a bucket and a rag yep. and a yeah. table. It's also sometimes called dry drowning, which I think is a more – sinister phrase there, uh, it can cause some serious physical damage even if a person does not die while this is happening. And to to be fair on the side of people who support this interrogation technique, uh, it, is, uh, it is described as something that the people administering it have, uh, have received extensive training in such that they're not going to accidentally – keep someone asphyxiated for too long. All in all, there were 10 CIA prisoners that we know of who were arrested or held on the soil of Thailand before being transferred to Guantanamo Bay, which we all knew would show up at least partially in this episode. Guantanamo Bay is, uh, is located on the island of Cuba, and these folks were transferred without any kind of due process or hearing. That's according to a report by the Open Society Justice Initiative from 2013. Funny story about this. It is the worst kept secret in Thailand. Uh, there, there have been successive members of the Thai government uh, and the military in the years following this. And one thing they all have in common is they have all denied that this ever happened, that there was a black site. It's all a big misunderstanding. Uh, these are not the droids you're looking for. These prisons were not just in Thailand. They were initially located in at least eight different countries. They were classified, and they were so classified that information on each one was known only to the president, a few other U.S. officials, and the people doing the dirty work. And, you know, there were a lot of problems pretty obviously on the on the face of these kinds of things. Never but, would have seen that coming. Well, uh, yeah. Um, but a lot of these problems started to show up pretty quickly after they, these sites were established. Yeah, at least 26 people uh, were held due to cases of mistaken identity. Um, there, was, that, there were a couple great documentaries around surrounding this. Something about the taxi – Oh, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a fantastic documentary that came out in the mid-2000s about a taxi driver that just ended up at Guantanamo. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah, that's the thing. If you're there due to a case of mistaken identity and you have no recourse to getting you know, your case heard and proving that you're not this person, at that point you just become like collateral damage of this system and you're just stuck. Like what What do you do? It, it, it's it, – it, it gives me a panic attack just thinking about it. Also add to that the language barrier. Yeah. You know, uh, these uh, – many of these interrogators would have a translator of some sort, but the interrogators themselves were often not fluent in the language spoken by the people being detained. So, yes, at least 26 people – at least 26 people were totally not supposed to be there. Their name just sounded similar or there was a vague description 
or they were turned over when uh, reporting suspected terrorists became incentivized, which is a, a different problem. Second thing that cropped up almost immediately, the CIA gets caught lying to Uncle Sam along with some other members of the CIA who had a problem with this. Because again, although it's tempting and it's easy and cognitively delicious to think these are monolithic entities, they are not. There are people within, there are wheels within wheels. There are people competing for the same positions. There's a left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing kind of situation that crops up. And that's what compartmentalized intelligence is all about. So according to the Washington Post, in at least one case, an internal CIA memo relays instructions from the White House to keep the program secret from the Secretary of State, the guy whose job is literally to know what's going on here. Uh, that was uh, then-Secretary of State Colin Powell, uh, and they wanted to keep it a secret from him out of concern that he would, quote, blow his stack if he were to be briefed on what's going on. Wow. Wow. The guy that was, uh, you know, giving a hearing in Congress showing the yellow cake, yeah. he's the guy who you're like, yeah, we can't let him know about this. He got misled several times. Yes, he did. In his career. So of uh, 119 known suspects who were held, 39 of them were um, subjected to this. Were, the, the, this story is full of these absurd terms, sort of these sanitized versions of the same idea. Uh, enhanced interrogation. Was that a Cheney thing? That was a Cheney thing, I feel like. The I think it was the uh lawyer. Mm. Uh, his name escapes. You me. maybe? Yeah, no. Oh yeah, not you. Y O O. Yes. Uh yeah. The thing is, these uh these these are like any other buzzwords. Often the original author of the buzzword is <laughs> is not going to be super jazzed about it. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, but these techniques referred to pretty controversially as enhanced interrogation were used. Uh, and we'll get into more on that in just a bit. But some of these things included um, being slapped and uh, this concept of walling, which is new to me. And that's when people were slammed against walls uh, along with, of course, waterboarding and sleep deprivation. And, uh, you know, we, we've seen some of these photos with the forced nudity from the Abu Ghraib prison where folks are forced to stand on buckets for extended periods of time with like bags over their heads and, and completely stripped naked. Um, it's just a lot of it comes down to humiliation as well. Yeah. And at times uh, these this stuff included – uh, even more egregious acts, there were incidents of uh, physical abuse, sexual assault, threat I, – I believe the photos you're referring to specifically feature people being threatened with uh, military dogs. The thing about these techniques is they were chosen on purpose uh, because they could be applied repeatedly for days or weeks at a stretch. And I, I just want to confirm off air, we, we checked back to this to make sure that we were correct. It was John Yu, John Chun Yu, uh, an attorney, law professor, former government official. He was the author of the so-called torture memos in which the phrase enhanced interrogation, as you might assume, shows up quite often. Seven of the people subjected to these techniques produced no intelligence whatsoever. What do we mean when we say they produced no intelligence whatsoever? We mean that they didn't even produce incorrect intelligence. 
They didn't even panic and say, well, maybe that guy I went to college with, maybe maybe he's the one you're looking for. Or, yeah, I'll say anything you want me to, just please stop drowning me. And at least three were confirmed to be subjected to waterboarding. We know about the two in Thailand. There's one other, but there are many, many more reports. A little bit earlier in the show, we mentioned that we had a specific example that gives us a look at the the money and the operation in the blow-by-blow, day-by-day operation involved. Let's pause for a word from our sponsor, and then let's travel to Poland. L-A-S-I-K LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, Podcast producer? Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424. Two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Okay, so we're back, and we are now in Poland. I you probably didn't expect to head that way no this one, episode. No one expects to go to Poland. I know, well, except for um the Germany went there one time, if I recall. Yeah, yeah, I mean nowadays. <laughs> no one expects to go to Poland. <laughs> yeah. Uh but it is interesting that we ended up there in, with one of these black sites. It was one of the first and one of the probably the most important Europe European black site. It was it was there in Poland. The CIA made a $15 million deal with their intelligence agencies, their intelligence structure there to build the site. And it, they called it 
quartz, or at least they referred to it as quartz, mm-hmm. Q-U-A-R-T-Z. Yes. The accommodations at quartz were not on the level of a Norwegian prison. Instead, they uh, they could only hold a handful of detainees. There was very, very sparse accommodation. There was a shed behind the house that was also converted to a cell. Now, if this sounds a little bit clandestine, it's because it was. You know, the, the biggest – The biggest task or obstacle in front of the Polish and American authorities was to make sure that this remained the stuff they don't want you to know. Very much. They wanted people to think this was just a a villa, right? And if someone were to look, say, via satellite, they want it to be too obvious that this was an illegal jail, prison torture chamber that did not officially exist. There was one room where detainees could ride a stationary bike or use a treadmill if they cooperated. We do know that despite the problems, despite the injustices involved, the system kept growing. It went global. It became an international franchise. At least 50 prisons have been used to hold detainees in over 20 – well, in 28 countries. And that's in addition to 25 more prisons in Afghanistan, 20 in Iraq. Uh, There's also – there's also this story and this rumor, this allegation of floating prisons, which I thought was incredibly devious and uh, brutally clever. And it's estimated that the U.S. had 17 of those uh, starting from 2001, which uh, brings the total estimated number of prisons operated by the U.S. uh, and our allies uh, in order to house alleged terrorists since 2001 to more than 100. And other countries that held suspects on behalf of the U.S. included – I'm going to – Caution, let's try not to do the Animaniacs song. Yeah, it's a, a long list. It's a lot. Uh, we've got uh, Algeria. No, you can't do it. Um, Algeria, Azerbaijan, Bosnia, uh, Djibouti. Djibouti. Yes, that's a, the D is silent. Egypt, Ethiopia, Gambia, Israel, Jordan, Kenya, Kosovo, Libya, Lithuania, <laughs> Mauritania, Morocco, Pakistan, uh, Poland, Qatar, Romania, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Somalia, South Africa, Thailand, United Kingdom, Uzbekistan, Yemen, and Zambia. And according to the Human Rights Watch, the U.S. held detainees from many different countries around the world, 21 in all, including some that will be easily recognizable and some that might be a little bit surprising. So detainees from Algeria, Egypt, India, Iran, Iraq, Gaza and the West Bank, Jordan, Lebanon, Libya, Malaysia, Oman, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, Sweden, Tunisia, Turkey, Ukraine, the UK, and Yemen. Including a guy named Khalid Sheikh Muhammad, mm-hmm. the, you know, the quote mastermind of 9-11, um, outside of Osama bin Laden, of course. Um, but he was held in that Poland spot for quite a while there where he was waterboarded and all the, he was enhancedly interrogated. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he was moved several times to different places. But it's interesting to to think that someone of, of such a – considered to be such a high-level target would be kept in that two-story villa in Poland, just hidden somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure the the security was – I'm sure it was robust. Yeah. But it wasn't enough. In several of these black sites, the detainees were – you know, they, they had been – 
tortured for whatever information they were perceived to have, and then they were shipped to a place that was deemed more secure or at least marginally more legal. And that is where Guantanamo Bay comes into play. Oh, boy. Guantanamo, or Gitmo as it's been called before, is not exactly the same as a black site because it was not purposefully built for secret detention in the wake of 9-11. Guantanamo Bay, as a U.S. possession, has been around for a long time, and it has a, it has a strange history because Guantanamo, it's on Guantanamo Bay Naval Base, right? And, and, and it's been there in some form since 1903. So even when the U.S. and Cuba have very antagonistic relationships or, you know, interactions, Guantanamo Bay is still around and has stood the test of time. So it does have this in common with black sites. Detainees from these secret sites were sent to Guantanamo Bay and they were also uh, subjected to enhanced interrogation techniques there with some real real psychologically disturbing – torture as well. They tried to get into not just physically threaten people, but also get into their heads and uh, humiliate them. Yeah, there's a 2005 report that was presented to the Senate Armed Services Committee, I guess. um, And it detailed the interrogation of one man who was considered the 20th hijacker uh, in the 9-11 attacks. His name was Mohammed Al-Khatani. You might remember his name from news reports over the years. Um, he was supposedly forced to wear a bra to dance with a man and do what were called dog tricks while tied to a leash. Mm. Like sit, lay down, yeah. roll over. So very much uh, just breaking him down essentially psychologically. Um, but the But military investigators said – this was not considered something that was prohibited um, so and, and they did not consider it inhumane treatment either. I, I kind of wonder like do you think there's a committee that comes up with this stuff or is it just sort of like improv? Or do you mean the, the torture? Yeah, and the, all like the, that, that's so specific. You know, it's like like, like do, do you think it was like the guards or like the interrogators that just come up with this or is you, there some like higher level like committee or board that comes up with quote unquote acceptable uh, humane forms? Because obviously waterboarding is a go-to because it's not going to kill them. Uh, it's considered maybe less problematic than like attaching electrodes to somebody in a car battery, you know, but like it's definitely still pretty rough. But I'm wondering like where do these go-to – tortures come from. Like it's within, definitely not improvised. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think so either, but I'm wondering where, like if there's a committee that their specific job is to come up with this stuff in some, you know, darkened room. Well, a lot of these techniques have stood the test of time. It's not for nothing that people decide to pursue the similar uh, techniques of physical or mental stress. I, I, I would I would draw everyone's attention to earlier published memos and pamphlets from the CIA in uh, that were put out in South American countries and Central American countries that were meant to educate people on how to be insurgents and meant to uh, give you some information about how to torture someone without killing them. Because the thing is, you want to get them right to the line, right? Uh, there are some things that are so messed up, they they sound like they occur in fiction. But uh, there are real cases, for instance, if you read some of this stuff, where someone who is going to torture a detainee 
right, uh, will say, whether for this government or another government, they'll, they'll walk in and they'll be your friend. I'll have a chat with you. Make sure you hungry. You need anything? You like Sprite? I heard you like Sprite. Let's get this guy Sprite. And then they'll have a conversation like, okay, look, there's some stuff that we think you know. We know you know it. And we want you to tell us. Uh, but to me, it doesn't matter what you say. You and I are going to be quite close. Check this out. And then when they say check this out, they will harm themselves in front of the person. You know, like cut their arm such that it bleeds copiously but not, you know, lethally. Not a north to south kind of cut. Just like, boom, vertical cut like that with their arm hanging out akimbo. And then they'll hold it there and like, I just did this to myself. What do you think I'm going to do to you? That kind of stuff. You're not physically hurting the person, but you're in your, their head. And that thing, while it sounds like a complete malarkey written by a screenwriter somewhere, that has happened before. And people do that because it works. So all this stuff, in answer to your question, is not uh, – is largely not improvised. Yeah, and it's also one of these things where it's like to the the, the subject being uh, on the receiving end of, of said torture, they're like, go back to being nice again. Whatever I whatever I have to do to get you back to where you were, where you were giving me a sprite, you know, and being my friend, mm-hmm. let, I'll do that, you know. It, it literally, it's like you're you're showing this juxtaposition. Right. You're like you're baiting and switching, and then you're like, whatever it takes to get back to that first version of you, you know. So let's jump back here in time to where we were talking about that 2005 report that went to the Senate Armed Services Committee. Mm-hmm. And the next year, in September of 2006, uh, the president at the time, George W. Bush, acknowledged that the CIA had indeed held suspected terrorists in these places, these secret prisons overseas in different countries. He also announced the transfer of 14 specific captured al-Qaeda operatives, uh, again, like you're just kind of – he's just announcing this. To the public, we just say, oh, OK, those must be al-Qaeda oper- operatives. But he's saying 14 captured al-Qaeda operatives who were being transferred, including Mohammed bin al-Shib and Abu Zubayah uh, to to Guantanamo Bay. So 2006 uh, is, is when, when the president of the United States says, yes, indeed, we are keeping people in these secret places and we're shipping people now to Guantanamo. And there's been a lot of work leading up to this as well. There's some fantastic, I would say, heroic journalists uh, such as Dana Priest who did a lot of work for the Washington Post on this subject. So when it was confirmed – by the then president, it was already something that was widely suspected or even already considered to be true by people a little more on the fringes of the national and international conversation. Let's fast forward 2018. As you may know, uh, neither the naval base nor the detention center are closed. Last year, January 30th, uh, President Donald Trump signed an executive order to keep the detention center open and also to approve the transfer of potential new prisoners to the site. So not only is it not closed, it might actually grow. There was a uh, – well, there, there have been a series of legal challenges to this because these people are often – you know, they're not experiencing due process. Uh, there have been people who have been held for years and turned out that they were completely the wrong person, 
right? Uh, in June of this year, 2019, the Supreme Court of the U.S. rejected a challenge to the indefinite detention of Guantanamo Bay detainees who have yet to be charged. Imagine being detained indefinitely, no charges brought against you for almost 20 years. 20 years. That's how, that's how long ago this was now. It's basically saying we have enough evidence. Like this is what you have to imagine the authorities saying to you as the individual. We feel as though we have enough evidence to convince us that you are definitely an, a heinous person who has done heinous things or is planning to do heinous things. But we don't have enough evidence to you know, take you to trial anywhere or we don't have a, a place in which we can try you for these crimes. I mean it reminds me of the way they used to just be able to like, you know, a king – back in the uh, the dark ages could just throw somebody in the dungeon you know and throw away the key with no trial no due process and they they wouldn't even have known what they have done you know think of the abuses that that are likely inherent in this system you know people with a grudge or people where someone maybe has some dirt who knows? I mean, I mean I'm, you know, I'm, I'm no, not trying right to. On. I mean, I think it's certainly what I'm saying is when you la- when you lack accountability um corruption tends to run free. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing is just how how human beings through the legalese and the manipulation of the law are are um, categorized. Right? We we've talked about this before on this show, but the concept of I believe it was during the uh, Barack Obama's presidency where I think it was it was under his watch where males of a fighting age in any country where the United States is engaged militarily are considered en- enemy combatants. Right. Yeah. Um, that means if you are within that age range and you are a male, then you could just be at a black site. The assumption is, right? Yeah. This is uh, – this is – Fascinating in a, in a terrible, terrible way. Uh, we do have to also, again, to be fair, we have to point out that because some of these people were victims of mistaken identity, because some of these people were accused of crimes that they did not commit, it does not mean that everyone there was innocent. Absolutely. Right? That's why it's so difficult, right? Mm-hmm. And of the 54 countries that the open society that we mentioned at the top of the show, the 54 countries that open society confirmed as having captured, held, questioned, tortured, or helped transport these detainees for the CIA, fewer than half of them have opened any kind of domestic inquiry or had any court cases challenging their involvement. means in a very real sense, this stuff continues to officially not exist. But here is the ultimate question. Did these black sites and the interrogations performed within actually produce results? Plot twist, spoiler alert, the CIA believes so. In case that was a big Shyamalan moment for anyone. Yeah, they, I mean, they almost kind of have to believe so. And we have a quote here from the CIA director, John Brennan, or at the time, CIA director, John Brennan. Um, He gave this official statement. Our review indicates that interrogations of detainees on whom enhanced interrogation techniques were used did produce intelligence that helped thwart attack plans, capture terrorists, and save lives. The intelligence gained from the program was critical to our understanding of al-Qaeda and continues to inform our counterterrorism efforts to this day. Um, Congress, this is out of the quote, on the other hand, did, did not agree. Right, right. So for uh, many of us listening, or at least a few of us listening, uh, this 
feels like an ugly, ugly reality. You know what I mean? War is a brutal thing. And when we are, when we're in that hypothetical situation where doing something abominable to one person may save hundreds of thousands, we're very close to that needs of the many outnumber the needs of the few kind of cold logic argument, right? Well, what if those numbers are are just torture or do terrible things to one person and save 10? Right. Even then, the ratio still holds. You're, save, you're, you're creating more net good by doing a little bit of evil. And the problem with that kind of experiment is that it is very, very rare for someone to know with certitude that their activities prevented a disaster or a catastrophe because by preventing it, it's never happened. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's kind of like the the psychic prediction problem where someone says, oh, I have a premonition, Paul, mission control, decant. Do not take, uh, do not take your car uh, to, I don't know, to a trip on Thanksgiving or something because uh, there will be an accident. So maybe they just go a different route and nothing happens. You know what I mean? Yeah, or take a flight. Or take a flight and nothing happens. So amongst the people who disagreed with that stance, amongst the people who disagreed with the CIA's pro-interrogation, pro-black site stance, uh, were members of Congress. Actually, just Congress disagreed. Because one thing Congress uh, used to really have a problem with was being lied to. In their December 9th, 2014 report, which was called the Committee Study of the Central Intelligence Agency's Detention and Interrogation Program. Again, you have to love the sexy titles. Uh, They found 20 different findings that were published wherein they took the CIA to task. They deemed the activities illegal. They said, A, this doesn't work. B, stop lying. And and it went on and on. The weird thing about the report is that it is 6,000 pages long. 525 of those pages were declassified along with an executive summary, which is where most people got the facts. Right now, we do have an answer to the the original question. We do know the black sites did exist. They were highly illegal um, despite the arguments made in court, right? And despite the clear illegality as espoused by members of the legislative branch – it appears the judicial branch of this government is is stonewalling it at, at different turns, right? And they're saying, well, again, it's ugly, but it's a special case. We have to protect the many. And we don't know if there are other black sites out there. It feels like one of those terrible, dark truths, ugly secrets that almost – Oh, it's so weird because on this end, you know, as American citizens sitting in this room in the privilege that we have just by existing in this country, mm-hmm. um, it feels in this really messed up way good to know that this kind of thing is out there to ostensibly protect us here in this country. Right. I think we have to acknowledge that there's like a there's a weird sense of like, okay, well, at least at least it's our my people, our people, our side, the good guys doing this thing. Right. Um, Those are all like subjective terms to to put on American authorities. But I 
I wonder what that feels like, what it truly feels like inside from, let's say, a Polish citizen who finds out that there is a black site in their country where this kind of thing is being carried out on their soil. Well, I guess that all depends on how much benefit they feel like they're getting from their relationship with the United States, which varies from country to country in in those arrangements, right? I don't know. Like like the whole thing with – Trump supposedly withholding aid from Ukraine in that situation. Mm-hmm. Ukraine really needed that aid. So there's a quid pro quo. I mean, not to throw around the buzz term of the moment, but there is an absolute benefit as a country where you say, oh, okay, the U.S. is giving us this military aid. Therefore, maybe we'll turn the other cheek or you know, we'll, we'll turn the other way if we think they're doing some nefarious stuff on our turf because we feel like they're actually actively helping us in having better lives. Sure. I, I don't think it could – I don't think it could occur without some kind of pretty heavy incentive like that. It's just um, – To your point though, you're thinking like how the average citizen, how do they feel about it? Well, yeah. I mean you're talking – I mean we we listed off the the number of places where these black sites existed and in a lot of them, you can imagine the citizens of those countries being at risk of ending up. And it, you know, and it's a very, it would be a very small proportion of the citizens like, on almost – not making you know wouldn't wouldn't even be a blip mm-hmm. on on a calculator it's just um i don't know it, to me i'm interested in the mindset uh, of just somebody knowing that's happening cuz it's very it feels even though even though sitting in this room as an american citizen it kind, it kind of feels not okay but like mm-hmm. i'm not scared about it Oh, right, because you probably won't get black-backed. For now. For now. Yeah, that's – I mean that's a very good point because we know in our previous episode it is completely possible for people to lose or hide entire cities with populations of thousands. So having a small area where you have uh, a handful or at the most hundreds of detainees uh, who have been disappeared, it's – so disturbingly plausible that that could happen, could be happening now, and there would be no proof, and maybe the people who live in the next town or village over just have have been uh, have been given to understand that no one goes near the old dairy factory. You know and, what I yeah, mean? And that's, that's all, all it takes. Know. Yep, that's all it takes. And this this leads us to the question that we cannot really answer: Will this happen in the future? Have these black sites actually closed, or have they just moved further from the public eye? If that is the case, then these locations remain the stuff they don't want you to know. This ends our episode, but yeah. not our show. Yes, uh, please write to us on our social media if you have thoughts on this episode. If you live in a country where one of these black sites existed or maybe you heard about them or you've had any experience with any of this and you can speak to it, um, please write to us. Find us on Twitter, on Facebook where we're Conspiracy Stuff. We're Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. Um, If you don't want to do that stuff, you can find us on Here's Where It Gets Crazy. It's our Facebook page. Um, what, what's the official title for that? It's a group, Facebook group. It's a group. Yeah, community page, you could call it. Yeah, and you can go on there and speak with your fellow listeners and uh, with us. We're on there occasionally too. And, you know, get into the conversation. We'd love to talk about this a little further and, and know what you think and what you've experienced. 
Yeah. And um, if you want to hit us up as individuals outside of this uh, show collective situation, you can do that as well. Uh, I'm on Instagram exclusively at how now Noel Brown, mainly just hanging out with my kid and I go to shows and uh, take a lot of food pics. If you're into that, you can find all that stuff and more there. And before I get black bagged, you can find me on Instagram under the insanely creative handle at Ben Bolin. You can also find me and several of my uh, cohorts and fellow miscreants on Twitter where I'm at Ben Bolin, HSW. Matt, should we have the conversation again about Instagram? Uh, I deleted it, you guys. <laughs> really? Yeah, I deleted my Instagram. Yeah. The one you just created. Yeah. It got too hot. It was just, I mean, I was blown up. I had like 100 followers. A lot of deep fakes. Yeah, I was getting DM'd out the wazoo. Mm -hmm. No, I'm just kidding. It's still there. It's um, Matt Frederick underscore iHeart. Oh, it's not. Oh, fake. I believed you, you out. I I thought it was still (laughs) at face tats. (laughs) Supreme. (laughs) Face tats supreme. Yeah, that's not you. (laughs) Well, uh, I have been having a deep conversation (laughs) with the wrong person. Look, man, you never know if you're talking to me online or not. All right. Shout out to you uh, at Face Tats uh, Supreme. (laughs) But, hey, if someone hates the social meds, if someone uh, doesn't care to engage with it, we, of course, get it. We did several episodes on how Facebook is bad for you. And everything we said in those things uh, either came to pass or was already happening when we did those episodes. We get it. Uh, you can reach us directly. We have a call-in number. We can go ahead and we, we shared it at the top of the show. Yes. But let's let's share it again. We are 1-833-STDWYTK. One last thing here before we go. Um, and it's just because we're right at the end here mm. and – a very tiny proportion of you are actually listening right now. Statistics prove this is the case. We, we've seen the numbers. Um, just we qu- see you. We see you, those that have remained. Just, just, just a quick quiz for you out there. Um, if you see some Terry's trying to get froggy, oh, um, yeah. do you A, fireboard those mother jammers? Is that the same thing as waterboarding them? No. Do you B, hypothetical them in the clavicle? Mm-hmm. Or C, do you Drax alum? Sklounced. So we'd like to hear your responses to this. Uh, and in addition to hearing which of those three you choose, we'd like to hear why you chose that. Because, you know, this is a subject of intense debate here in the studio. And if none of those uh, previously mentioned avenues of communication quite bag your badgers, we have good news. Despite it being 2019, here at the very end of the decade, we have an email address. You can write to us directly. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Give yourself a delicious escape from the afternoon with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.